Happy Easter, church family. Is he worthy of all praise and blessing and honor and glory? Amen. He is today, tomorrow, forevermore. And that his good and sovereign reign and rule is not dependent upon our faithfulness. Because he is always faithful. We're going to continue this uh, theme <clears throat> as I'm losing my voice as I was crying during that baptism service, or that baptism video of walking in newness of life. And what we got to experience <clears throat> through the video baptism is that these were people who weren't just getting dunked in water for the sake of getting dunked, but they were professing that they have been made new creations by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the old man is gone, the old woman is gone, the new man has come. And now, by the power of the Spirit, they can walk in newness of life. Let me ask you, do you believe that all human beings were created equal? I hope so. We're all created in the image of God, and we have a number of things in common. Yet, there's a historical chasm between haves and haves-nots. There's a disparity between those who seem to accomplish much and those who accomplish little. Those who have great achievements seem to have a greater confidence, but a greater confidence in what? For many, they seem to be fearless and have a confidence that trusts in their education, their training, and their past experience. I'm going to raise this just a little bit. Oh, there we go. Their confidence at times often compels them to, take, to live a life of risk-taking and boldness and going for it just with the gusto of life without a fear of loss or failure. You might say that they have the power to play. They had to sneak that one in there. You might have heard of a gentleman by the name of Alex Honnold. He starred in a movie, a documentary on his life called Solo. And this man, Solo, climbed El Capitan, a 3,000-foot sheer granite um, cliff in California. And he did it without the assistance of any safety equipment. If he would have fallen, he would have been, it would have been immediate death. What many people don't know is that before he Solo climbed this, this sheet of granite, that he climbed it 15 times plus before with ropes and carabiners. While climbing the cliff, secured by ropes, he literally wrote down and memorized every single finger and foothold. So by the time it came for him to free climb the cliff, he already knew every little feature by heart. And he was, ever, he was able to visualize every step. And at a post-climb interview, he was asked if he was fearful at any time on that slab of granite. And his response was this. I probably would have been if I hadn't prepared for it. Do you live your life with this type of confidence? Christians, do you live this life with your life with this type of confidence? Alex, I'm pretty sure, is not a Christian. But I would submit to you that this is actually a pretty good example, uh, but an imperfect picture of living the Christian life. We can look throughout the, the pages of Scripture and see that God is true to his promises. We can look back at our own lives and we can see that his ways are always better than our ways. And the more that we taste and see that he is good, 
the greater our desire becomes to follow him with reckless abandon. By trusting in the character of our rock, standing on his promises and placing our hands and feet and our lives where he leads, we can go and do whatever he asks us to do. This sermon isn't a self-help sermon. It's not about doing more. But it's about being empowered by the Spirit of Christ to follow him wherever he leads and to do whatever he calls you to do. This is what the Bible calls walking by faith and not by sight. It's a faith in God's word empowered by God's spirit. And unlike Alex, it's a confidence that comes not from our ability and our power, but God's power and ability to accomplish whatever he asks of us. Think of some of the crazies who have dominated, who, have, who, have, uh, who are uh, documented in biblical uh, history, who walk by faith and not by sight. Think of Peter walking on the water, walking by faith. And as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and put his eyes on the storm, He's saying, how about Joshua going into Jericho and God tells him, just surround the city and blow trumpets and the walls will fall. Like, like who follows that kind of advice? David stepping out in the strength of the Lord to fight Goliath. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down to the king, but walking by faith. All of these men accomplished great things by walking by faith and not by sight. So let me ask you. Have you ever wished that you could accomplish great things for the Lord? Like you hear these great stories of men and women um, accomplishing great things for the Lord. But what does he have for you? First of all, your life does count, even if you accomplish nothing. For Jesus accomplished and secured everything you need. Secondly, the God who loves you and accepts you wants to use you to accomplish great things for his namesake and for the good of others. You see, you and I are his plan A for accomplishing greater things than we can ever imagine. Before we talk about what it takes for Christians to accomplish great things for the Lord, I want to make some observations as to what all human beings have in common. Every human being who has ever lived will ever live. First of all, every human being shares in God's common grace at some level. This means that every human being with varying beliefs can experience success and comfort and health and experience love and relationship. Every human being is a beneficiary of God's common grace. And that's why there's people who don't believe in Jesus and actually don't believe in anything who seem to have all the good things in the world. The next thing that we have in common with all human beings is that we're all sinners. Romans 6 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of humanity was born with a predisposition to sin. And no matter how hard they, they try, they can't live up to the standard of whatever particular religion they believe. We have the effects of sin in common. That sin, other people's sin and our sin, affects us. If you've been a Christian for more than one day, you know that there are times of disappointment. There are times of loss and conflict. Sickness, suffering, and eventually death are untimely and unwelcome intruders that will break into every life at some point. And this is a reality for all humans as we live in a broken world. Next, God put eternity on the heart of every human being. We all long for something different. 
Something that's true, something that's lasting. We long for a better world, one where there's no sickness, where there's no suffering, where there's no death. And this world will not deliver any of that. Next, what we have in common is a desire for being accepted and being fully loved with no strings attached. We all long to be accepted for who we are and loved without conditions on our behaviors. The next thing, the last thing that we have in common is a free gift that's available to all who believe. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This free gift is given to all who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and became fully human. And he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. Jesus, the spotless lamb, willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty that God's justice demanded for every sin-stained image bearer. The cost? His death. A death that brings life to all who believe. Brings life to all those who were helpless and hopeless and stained by sin. But by faith are now and forever stained by the eternal righteousness of Christ. If Jesus died for our sins and secured our eternal acceptance, why does Easter matter? Why is it so important that Jesus rose from the dead? The Apostle Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 and 17. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Jesus was still dead, the Christian faith would be a sham, like every other religion. It would be another self-help story to make us feel good about ourselves. But he's not dead. And Christianity is the only true religion. And Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. There's a multitude of historical, there's a multitude of, of historical pieces of evidence that prove that Jesus rose from the dead. But we're not going to have time to go into that today. I'd be cutting into your lunch and you'd be mad at me. However, we are going to prove the resurrection today by the lives of people who have been changed by the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. People who were dead in their sins and trespasses with no hope. People whose hope and joy were once solely dependent upon their good health and their wealth and their comfort. People who are imperfect, who understand that their lives are no longer their own. People who are no longer controlled by their own desires, but compelled by the love of Christ. People who have confidence in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit to climb whatever wall that the Lord leads them to. These are people who are willing to step out in faith even when they can't see beyond the next step. These are people who have confidence in knowing that taking the Holy Spirit powered, taking Holy Spirit empowered risks is safer and more fulfilling than living a life that avoids risks and seeks comfort and pleasure at all costs. These are people who live lives as ones who understand that the Christian life is one of dying to self and submitting to the power of the Spirit. These are people who agree with the words of Paul that I've, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. 
These are people who know that their lives are no longer their own and they don't trust in their own strategies, but they rely on his strength. These are people who desire what Paul prays for in Colossians 1, 10 through 11. They desire to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You see, they desire to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and to fully please him and to bear fruit in every good work. They want to be used by the Lord to fulfill his purposes for his glory, not their glory. And they know that they can't accomplish anything in their own strength. So they pray that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What is all power according to his glorious might? It's literally the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's that power that strengthens us to be able to endure anything that comes our way. Difficult circumstances, to have patience with anybody that comes our way that's difficult to have patience with. You see, anything that he calls us to, he's going to give us the power and the strength to accomplish it for his glory and for the good of his blood-bought people. Their confidence comes from a resolve that Jesus is alive and his indwelling spirit empowers them to live in accordance to his goodwill and purpose. It's a confidence and a power that propels them to live out the Great Commission. I bet you've never heard the Great Commission. Matthew 28 preached in an Easter service, but it's an Easter passage. Jesus' last words to his disciples documented in Matthew 28, 18-20. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. People, blood-bought people living at the Great Commission are living testimonies of a living God. They're proof that Jesus lives. And these are people that get their hands dirty making disciples. They love God and they love people. They don't just throw out words. But they truly love God and they love people. They use their resources of time and talent and money to serve and reach people. They make disciples by teaching others to observe or obey all that Jesus commanded. And you know how you can sum, out, uh, sum up all that Jesus commanded? The first and second commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? To love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know what God is calling you to do in fulfilling the Great Commission? Is bring the message of Jesus Christ to the nations. Whether that be in uh, the Czech Republic or Nigeria or Greeley. But you bring it motivated by a love for God and a desire to love people as you love yourself. The resurrected life not only teaches a message of love and forgiveness, but strives by the power of the Spirit to live it out. And finally, someone who lives a resurrected life has a sure confidence that Jesus is with them until the end of the age, that we don't do this alone, that they, these people tap into his power rather than exerting their own perceived power. 
Unfortunately, there are many people who bear the name of Jesus Christ who live without this confidence and without this power, and therefore we accomplish nothing of eternal value. They're missing out on the joy of joining the King of Kings on his mission to seek and save the lost. Accomplishing great things for Christ's sake can only be done by submitting our will to his will. It's in dying to ourselves and living to Christ that he empowers his people to accomplish his good will and purpose. Listen to Matthew 16. Jason preached this two weeks ago. If you missed the message, I'd go back and listen to it online. I referred to it last week on Palm Sunday. Jesus said, on this rock. What's the rock? Jesus Christ himself. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. This doesn't mean that Jesus is going to build buildings with steeples and that's his end game. His end game is not even planting churches. His end game is to bring people into the ark of salvation before the door slams shut when he returns to judge the living and the dead. And he's building his church by smashing through the gates of hell and bringing his blood-bought people into his kingdom of light. The church is not the building. The church is the people, his blood-bought people. People throughout history who have received the free gift of salvation by believing in Jesus' finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. And you know, more good news is we get to help. We get to storm the castle with him. That he uses the likes of us. And we go forward in his power, with his message, the gates of hell will not prevail. He says, Jesus, Jesus said that he'll give his followers in Matthew 16, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we lose on earth, loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We've been given the keys that open the, 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 the gates, the door to heaven for other people. These keys don't have the shape of our ministry strategy or even the shape of our lives. I drive a Subaru. Never thought I'd drive a Subaru. I grew up in Colorado. But I got a Subaru. And my Subaru is the first car that I've had that has a key that doesn't have teeth on it. Tells you how old most of my cars have been. It's a flat key. The car doesn't start because of the shape of the key. But by the chip in the middle of the key. It's a chip in the middle of the key that causes the car to start and powers the car to move. And the keys to heaven work because it's Jesus' message and power that's at the center of the key that unlocks the door for those who are without hope. It's not our strategies. It's not our passion. It's the message and his power that unlock the doors of heaven for those in need of salvation. I love this quote from C.T. Studd. He says, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. So you want to accomplish great things for Jesus? Gaze at the empty cross and the empty tomb. Ask the Father to give you increasing confidence in his acceptance and eternal love for you because of the cross. Embrace the truth that it's his love and acceptance that defines you, not your past mistakes or your future successes. 
the old man and the old woman has died. Remember that Jesus lives and as a result of his life, he is with you until the end of the age. The risen Lord indwells every believer and therefore we have his power in us to accomplish great things for his namesake and for the good of his blood-bought people.